let's get into God's word, shall we? Uh, this series, Standing Strong When Things Go Wrong, it was based upon, um, we started on Easter and uh, talked about uh, the reality that life uh, gives us storms, right? Life is not always easy. And, and way back in 2013, when I first became lead pastor here, I'd been serving at the church for 10 years, but I'd been serving, it was like my lifelong goal and dream and all this, and then a month later, our town has the worst flood, the state has the worst flood, it was awful, and we lost a third of our people, our building was flooded, we couldn't even get here, my house was flooded, and a lot of your neighbors and a lot of your homes were flooded too, and we could, like, communities were completely cut off, and I thought, well, it's been a fun run, we're done, right? And uh, the storms of life could come in, and they can bring devastation, and that's what storms do. And in the midst of that, um, as we were looking around the community, we said, well, if we're not going to be a church any longer, if we're going to f- close the doors, then let's, let's go out loving our, our community. And that's what we did, and you guys responded in such an amazing way. You're just such an awesome church. And the way that you loved each other and our neighbors and our community, and you mucked each other's homes out, and you cared for one another and brought meals and food and fuel and all kinds of stuff, just unbelievable. And it's, it's a, just a miracle, the fact that we're here that God had worked in us, but how we responded was in Christ's love. And it let me know that there was a different way for us to live. Sometimes the storms of life come, but when we are with Christ, uh, we can withstand all kinds of things. Now, in that storm, there was a house, I was down the canyon, that I was looking through, you know, I was looking at the devastation, like, how can we help? And there was this house that was on, on either side of it were other homes that had been, uh, the riverbank came up and washed their foundations and destroyed the houses. And so they were just leveled. And this house wasn't. It was standing. And, and you could tell why. The water washed away the deck. It destroyed the deck. And it also washed away kind of where it would the, look like where the foundation would be. But you realize that the foundation of that house that was standing, its foundation was, was anchored to bedrock. It was anchored to Rocky Mountain granite. And that's why it stood. And that's what I would like for us to have in our faith. When the storms of life come, when the difficulties of life come, that we won't be knocked down, we won't be destroyed because we have built our lives on the solid rock. And if that sounds like a familiar story, it should because Jesus talked about a very similar thing in a parable after he told his disciples and the people that uh, he's explaining the way the kingdom of God works. He said to them, you know, there's uh, the wise man is the one who listens to his teachings, Jesus' teachings, and builds his life upon them. That person is like a person who builds their house upon a rock. So when the rain comes and the wind comes and, and the river rises, their life doesn't fall apart. But a foolish person is one who hears Christ's teachings and then builds their life on something else. And they're building on sand, he says, and so when the storms of life comes, they fall apart. We want to make sure that our lives don't fall apart because the storms are going to come. And so how do we stand strong? Today, uh, we're going to talk about uh, one of those storms that's very um, hard for people to come through, and it wrecks a lot of lives, and that is the storm of doubt. And I don't know if you ever uh, uh, struggled with doubt, but chances are you have. And I'll tell you, there's doubt is, 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 uh, is an interesting thing. It can make us feel awful and separated from God, but it doesn't need to. Uh, faith, if you ever notice, is easy when life is good. You know, like when... when Something amazing happens. You're like, praise the Lord. God loves me. Everything is great when life is good. But when life is hard, right, when things don't go right and life is unfair and you're doing all the right and faithful things and all the bad and painful things seem to be happening to you, isn't it easy to have doubt then? That's, doubt is a powerful thing. But also it's normal because life's not fair. And and. Difficult and hard things happen to all of us. Jesus even promised that would be the case. In this world, you will have trouble. But he said, take heart. He's overcome the world. But even so, when trouble comes, it usually comes also with doubt. So doubt is a powerful thing. Oftentimes when we have doubt, people may walk away from the faith. They say, is God good? Does God love me? I don't know if he does. Is he even real? I'm praying. It doesn't seem like my prayers are being answered. So maybe he's not even listening. Maybe he's not even real. I've, and it, And oftentimes, uh, doubt can move us away from God, but it also can move us towards God. Doubt can cause us to ask the question, Lord, where are you in this? Or what do you want from me in this? Right? How can I make it through this? Doubt can propel us towards God. Doubt is powerful, but it's not necessarily bad. Doubt is not a sin. Unbelief is a sin, but doubt is not. 
And doubt is, is being honest, intellectually honest, saying, God, I, I, you are real, but you are invisible, and right now I can't sense you, so I need to find you. So doubt can keep us from faith or it can help grow us in faith, and we're going to talk about how we can use it to help us grow in faith. Now, our memory verse today is going to seem awkward at first, but we're going to be in the Word to put some context around this, and this is an important one. So just trust me on this. Here's what it says. It says, immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And uh, I don't know if you've ever prayed that prayer, but uh, it's a powerful one. And we're going to be talking about the story about what led up to this today. So as you're going there, let me give you some context of what's happening in this story. Okay, first, right before this happened in in Mark, we find out that uh, there was, uh, Jesus had taken his three closest disciples, and he had taken them up on top of, of, a, of a mountain, of a hill, and, and there was this event we call the transfiguration. It's where Jesus is up there, and all of a sudden, he's revealed in his glory. He glows, he all these things. You have God the Father is there saying, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him and do as he says, right? <laughs> like, like this is, he's legit. At the same time, you have two prophets who also show up at the time. You have Elijah and Moses are there, and they're talking to each other, and they're talking to Jesus. And so you have the, the, abs- you have the, the physical witness of, of the prophets. You have the physical witness, the audible witness of God the Father, that Jesus is legit. You, they could see with their eyes that he was transfigured, that he was glorious, that he was more than just a man. They have this amazing experience on the mountaintop. And then, Jesus, then Peter is like, hey, can I build you a house here? And then like it all stopped, and Peter's like, oh, Keep your mouth shut, right? So then they walk down the mountain, right? And as they get off the mountain, they get back into real life, right? They get back into the normal nitty-gritty of, of how life goes. And, and, and so these three um, disciples, along with Jesus, they walk back in to this village, and they walk into an absolute mess. And uh, we pick up the story then in verse 14, which is about halfway down the page there in the first column. And it says this, When they came uh, to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing about? He asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth. He gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him And when the spirit uh, saw Jesus, he immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, How long has he been like this? From childhood, he said. It has often thrown him into a fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If, If you can, Jesus said, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my own belief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that they said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. And after Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And he replied, well, this kind can only come out with prayer. That's an interesting story, isn't it? Kind of a weird one. You think about all the events that took place. I'm sure that the apostles who were on the mountaintop didn't expect this when they came back. And I'm sure the apostles that were down in the city trying to cast out this spirit were probably like, um, they didn't expect this to happen either. They're like, where is Jesus? Right? Because they had been able to cast out demons and all this up to this point. Why not this one? And it caused all kinds of trouble. Now, in this story, I want you to think about this dad. What he wants is not 
unreasonable, and the way he's going about getting this is not bad. He, he wants the disciples to heal his son. He sees his child, his own, his own child, really suffering. And he brings them. Everybody says, hey, Jesus and his disciples, they can help. They've got power. They can do this. And they, he goes to the right place. He does all the right things. But the disciples can't help. And then the religious leaders show up, right? And they start arguing and basically telling them, like, listen, these guys are frauds. They are, clearly don't have any power, right? They start arguing about why they, they wouldn't be able to do this and start discrediting Christ's ministry. And here's his dad who just wants his son to be good. And now he goes there and his disciples can't help. And now the religious leaders are like, this guy is not going to happen. He, all his hope is crushed. I think there was a little bit of doubt. Right? I think at that point, when you are, if you were that dad, and you went and you, went and you did the right thing in the right way, and, 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 and you find out that God just didn't seem to be able to deliver, that you would have a little bit of doubt. And when all of the experts come in and say, nope, not going to be able to deliver, I think this dad probably began to doubt. Maybe Jesus isn't what everybody says he is. Or maybe he can help everyone but me. Alright, that's a I don't know if you've ever been at a time in your life where you felt like you've done all the right things, right? You went and you, and you followed, and you did everything that you thought you were supposed to do, and you did everything you find in the Bible that says that you're supposed to do, and you go to God, and you're praying, and all of this, and then God just doesn't come through for you. Does that ever happen? Yeah. Now, those times in life, we begin to doubt. There are times in life where you put yourself, you, you, you take a step of faith in front of others, right? You take that step of faith and then whew, nothing, right? And you seem to fall flat on your face and all the other people like to gather around all the experts and they like to tell you how stupid you were, like how dare you? I mean, that's dumb to have faith, how primitive, right? They do that. Have you ever been there? And all the family members that don't uh, walk in close to the Lord and all the other people around, you read all the magazine articles and things like this, and you begin to wonder, have I bought into something that there's no power in? I think his dad felt exactly like that. This is not a new experience. And I imagine the disciples also began to doubt things too. Here, Jesus said, go and I'm giving you authority, right? Go cast out demons, Heal people, right? I'm going to take my three other disciples. We're going to go take a hike on the mountain. you got work to go. Don't go and do it. And they go out, and they're doing what Jesus said to do, right? They're doing exactly what Jesus says to do, and all of a sudden, they can't do it. And Jesus had told them, you have my authority. Go out and do it. Do you think they might have had a little bit of doubt? Like if Jesus goes away, if he's not here present, then we, his power must just be right around him or something like this. Or maybe he didn't choose us. Maybe, maybe we did something bad and, and now I can't do this. Or, or maybe he's just not as powerful as this demon. I mean, there's all kinds of doubts these guys could have had. And realize that these disciples, they grew up in Jewish culture and they didn't walk away from that. They were still good Jewish guys. They were following the Messiah. You couldn't be a better Jew than the disciples were. And you have the Jewish leaders whom the entire life growing up and listening to and respecting these people. And these leaders come up and say, whoa, you've got it all wrong. And Jesus isn't even there. Do you think maybe these disciples started to maybe doubt themselves? There was a lot of reason to have doubt in the midst of this. And Jesus responds to it. So you see in verse 19, he says, You unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? That's hard for us to hear, isn't it? Because we know what it's like to have doubt. Or we know what it's like to be in the midst of when God doesn't seem to show up. We, we can identify with the dad. And we can totally identify with the disciples too, right? You go out, you put to take a step of faith, and it doesn't seem like there's any power there. And so we feel like, at least me personally, when I read when Jesus said this, like, ouch, that seems awfully harsh. But Jesus didn't say, you doubting generation. He said, unbelieving. And it's important for us to make that distinction. Jesus had given his disciples a lot of reasons to believe, didn't he? I mean, up to this point, he had already kicked out all kinds of demons. Up to this point, he had healed all kinds of sick people. Up to this point, he had fed people with you know, few loaves and a few fish, right? They had seen miracles. He had stopped the storms, right, by just saying, be quiet. 
Right? He had done amazing things. He had demonstrated his power over nature. He had demonstrated his power over the demonic world. He had demonstrated his power over illness. Right? He had demonstrated power multiple times. Plus, there was a time that he was baptized. And everybody saw with John the Baptist, the prophet there saying, this is the Messiah. And God himself saying, this is my son who I'm well pleased. God had given them plenty of reasons to believe. And yet they have this one thing that comes up. And it caused some of them to lose belief. And that, I think, is where Jesus is frustrated. He's like, look, haven't I proven myself all of this time? Here you have one thing you don't understand, and now you're really to walk away. That would make him frustrated. And I can understand that. So Jesus responds to these guys. And we think about the the scene there. It was a mess. It was just an absolute mess. Religious leaders, you know, you know, arguing. You have this boy still not being you know, able to do anything. You have this distraught dad. You have all these other people around who have their own needs, and they're counting on the power of God through the disciples to be able to meet them. And now they're causing the doubt because they're like, well, maybe Jesus really isn't the Messiah, and there's all this, this big mess. And I think everything looked out of control when the disciples, when Jesus and Peter and James uh, showed up, right? When they came down from that awesome experience, I bet they were like, what on earth is the chaos? And I imagine Jesus. You ever had like one of those days where you like, if you're a parent, like you leave your kids for like five minutes, you're like, just don't destroy the house, right? This is all I'm asking. Stay alive and don't destroy the house. I'm going to go out to the garage. I'm going to come back. You come back and there's like flour and honey everywhere, so it's just me, right? Or if you're, a, if you're a boss, right? You have employees that you're like supposed to look over and you're like, just do this job. I'm going to go across town and pick something. You come back and then like, you know, something horrible has happened. You know, like you're, you're building something, like a wall's falling down or, or something bad. And you're like, what? I just leave you for a couple minutes. I imagine Jesus may have had a little of that kind of feeling, right? Everything looked out of control. But we find that Jesus didn't walk away. He expresses his frustration, but he also says, let's get to the heart of the issue. Bring the boy to me. And then Jesus goes and talks to the boy's dad. And he says, how long has he been like this? Right? I mean, here's this, you see this boy, he's he's on the ground, he's writhing, all this. Jesus is not panicked. He's like, but he talks to the dad. And you think Jesus doesn't know how long the boy has been like this. But I think he wants the dad and he wants others to see. This is not just a life thing. This was not just for show. Like, this was a real deal thing. And he says from childhood, and it was serious. Like, this is a life and death situation. This demon was throwing this boy into fire, into water, and all kinds of stuff. And the dad was desperate. But in this, the dad says something that Jesus doesn't take lightly to. He says, if, if you can help. And Jesus was like, if I can help, excuse me? And there's a point at which we find that, that God is not small. And I think oftentimes we get so comfortable with Jesus, especially in our experience. I grew up Catholic, and so in the Catholic Church, we're very afraid of God. Like, you know, you walk in, you just because he knows how bad you are, and so you're just expecting, you know, the church to fall down around you, and that's why they have the confession at the front of the building, so that way you can stop there first sometimes. So maybe there's mercy, and there's like holy water and everything, because you are terrified of the power of God. And I, you know what? There is some of that that I think we miss in this, because God is a powerful God, and he is holy, and he is righteous, Right? And I think oftentimes that we, we have something, we have this great connection with God, that fellowship with the Father and with the Son. Like we, we have this relationship that we really love with God. And I think this, we find that in Scripture, it's what he wants. But I think oftentimes we forget his holiness. And Jesus is not about to be put into a box of just a prophet, if I can. He is God Almighty. He created the universe. He's like, if I can. But he goes on and he says, you know, uh, if I can. This is, uh, everything is possible for the one who believes. Everything. That's a pretty big statement. I mean, understand that what Jesus isn't talking about, people take this out of context. They're like, anything is possible for the one who believes. I can pay my taxes with one dollar. I believe. Right? That's not what he's talking about. 
How about this? That God can call you to do things, right? If he calls you to it, he has the power to make it happen. And it's not about just our experience where we run up against problems and things like this. That we have the capacity because if God is, if we are with God, that's where the capacity is. That's where the power is. So the father had doubts, understandable. Disciples were unable to help. And Jesus didn't have doubt, though. Jesus knew in that moment, when he looked at this boy and he saw him writhing around, this, this one that's this horrible demon and all this kind of stuff, had been there for a long time, you don't see Jesus panicking. He's like, this, don't worry. And so Jesus turned this around, I think, didn't he? I mean, the, at the first... You have the dad interrogating Jesus a little bit, saying, if you can do this. You have the, the religious leaders interrogating Jesus, if you can do this. And Jesus is like, Haha, if I can. Yeah, it's, it's more than possible. So I think that this story is a lot about not the boy, but it's a lot of about the father and his faith. The struggle that he had to go through. You see, the, the question was at this point, will the, dad let, uh, will the dad trust one more time just enough to let Jesus do his work? Because if you were that dad, and you brought your boy in, and it's already humiliating, and you already had your hopes crushed, and you had the religious leaders there saying, no, he can't do anything, are you going to risk it one more time? Are you going to risk it one more time enough for Jesus to, to, to say, I'm going to cast that demon out? Because now everybody's watching, right? Now every and if you if Jesus fails now, that's it. <laughs> and all the religious leaders, why did you trust him one more time? You idiot, you fool, and you still have a son that's demon possessed. There are times I think that that step of faith, when Jesus says, "Okay, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you one more time to trust me," that can be a really hard time, especially when you feel like he's let you down in the past. And so how does the father respond? Immediately. He didn't have the doubt. I mean, the boy's doubt, he was desperate. Immediately, he didn't think about it. He exclaimed, I do believe. And then he caught himself. Help me overcome my unbelief. I think that is the most perfect, imperfect prayer ever uttered, isn't it? I don't know if you've ever been there. You're like, God, I, I trust you, but help me trust you. I need your help in this. You see, there's, there's, a different, there's, there's something that's called honest doubt, and that's okay. I think you see that Thomas the apostle had honest doubt when Jesus raised from the dead, and everybody said, hey, we saw him raised from the dead. And, and Thomas is like, uh, no, I need to see it myself, and then I'll trust. That's honest doubt. And, and God didn't, he didn't, uh, he didn't come against Thomas and didn't say, hey, you, you, you weak-minded, weak-faith person. He said, here, touch my wounds. Right? Feel the side. I'm here. Right? Now that you've seen this, go. And he says, you know, a lot of people aren't going to get that. So blessed are those that can trust when they don't have this. But he didn't make Thomas feel bad. I think the same thing. You find the, the dad here. He doesn't make the dad. He doesn't embarrass the dad and say, I do believe. Help me with my own belief. Jesus helps him. There is an honest doubt. I think that is, that's, uh, it's real, and I think one of the things that we have to do in our faith is to recognize that there are times in our life that we're going to doubt, and you have to be honest about it. But you have to not just be hardened in it. When we have honest doubt, you have to have hopeful faith. Right? Look at this man. He says, I do believe. Well, actually, help me with my unbelief. The man was, was putting his heart on the line. And he's saying, one more time, Christ, I'm going to... I want to trust you, but quite honestly, I'm struggling. But I'm hoping that you can help me. And how Jesus responds, verse 25, Jesus saw the crowd running to the scene. And so what did he do? He rebuked the demon, cast it out. That's what he does. The man had expressed a mustard seed of faith, and it moved the mountain. In fact, it moved a shrieking demon out of his son. It's a beautiful story. And the father... Uh, demonstrated great belief. He trusts us about everything. And then later on, we find that the disciples, after all this, they're confused. Because they're like, well, it's cool, Jesus, that you cast out the demon, but then how come we couldn't do that? Right? We cast all these other demons. We were able to do these things in your name. Why couldn't we do this one? And Jesus, he says, well, uh, he says, you know, this kind can only come out with prayer. Oh, 
Like the disciples, they didn't get a textbook. You know, like when they signed up for Jesus University, they didn't like get like a book list and all this. They, Jesus said, just come, come with me, right? And so they were learning as they went. Jesus wasn't mad at them that they didn't know this. He just taught them. But there are some realities in the spiritual world that we just don't know. We're ignorant of. Okay, let's just all admit that we don't know it all. Can we agree with that? And Jesus taught them something. So they were trying. There was something out there that they didn't get. Jesus explained it to them. And, and they're like, oh, okay. Sometimes you need to pray. All right. This is an interesting story. It's a weird one. But there's some five key truths that I want to talk about doubt, that we learn about doubt in this uh, in this story. And the first one is it's easy to have faith in the mountaintop, but hard not to have doubt in the valley. Wouldn't you agree? When you're with God and everything is going hunky dory, when you're at church and people are like, oh, and you see God working in your life and you had an answered prayer and you're on the mountaintop, you see, you know, Christ glorified in your life. Just like the apostles had when they, when they saw Jesus in transfiguration. It's easy to have faith when God the Father is there saying, this is my son. When the prophets are there, right? When you, see it, when you see God with your own eyes, and for us, when you see God work in your own life, and it's undeniable, it's easy to have faith. But when you are in the valley, when it seems dark, when you are praying and praying and praying, and all of your prayers seem to be just going nowhere, in fact, the things that you pray about are the very things that get worse, right? When you are there in the valley, when you feel alone, when it feels like God is separated from you, when it feels like the world is unfair and you're doing all the right things and getting all the wrong consequences, that's when it's hard not to have doubt. So just recognize it. And we all walk through the valleys just as much as some of us get to climb the mountains. The second one is doubt is a sign that there could be a broken connection with God. It doesn't mean that you're sinful. It just means that sometimes, like the, the apostles that were in here, they were down on the, the, uh, in the town and they were serving God and there was a truth that they didn't know and if Jesus was there, he would have explained it to them and all of this, but there was a separation. And the reality is sometimes when we go through doubt, oftentimes that doubt can make us step away from God, right? And really we need to step towards him to be asking, why is this not working? Or what are you doing, right? What, is there anything required from me? And sometimes he just says, be still. You don't have to wait this one out. Know that I'm God, but I'm going to carry you. I'm going to use this. But it can reveal, and I think sometimes in our life, if we look at our doubt, we have to say, is there, and it doesn't always mean there's a separation or a broken connection between us and God, but sometimes it can mean that there is one. And so it's good to then ask ourselves, when I'm doubting, is this really hurting my relationship with God? Am I saying, God, you're not doing what I want you to do, therefore I'm not going to believe in you? Or are you saying, God, this really hurts and I don't understand it, and I want to know, does it drive you closer to him? The third thing that we find from this passage, I think, is that doubts can limit God's power in my life. Notice that I didn't say God, doubts can limit God's power. That's silly. But Jesus said, you, you unbelieving generation, right? How long did I put up with you? And then he says to them, um, anything is possible for those who believe. Right? Anything. And so I think that we find this, this thing like everything, right? So we have that doubts can limit. So if I'm not including, and how does that work? If I'm not willing to trust God, if the dad said to Jesus, when you know, Jesus asked him, how long has your boy been like this? And, and the guy says, well, all this time. And, and Jesus said, well, you know, anything, everything is possible for those who believe. And the father said, I tried you. You guys failed. And he took his boy away. Do you think that would have limited God's power in his life? Yeah. If he just took his boy and said, I, I, don't, I have too much doubt. I'm not going to let you touch my son anymore. <laughs> You're a fraud. Then he would never have gotten to to the miracle. You see, I think that's what it is. We have to trust God. We have to keep pressing. That's why the faith talks about we had like long suffering, right? That endurance of faith is, is a fruit of the spirit. We have to stick with God. We have to trust him enough. And if we walk away from him, don't be surprised then if you see a less of God's power in your life. I think the next thing that we find in this is that Jesus doesn't require perfect faith. Isn't that awesome? That Jesus didn't go to this dad and, and he said, you know, everything's possible. And the dad's like, well, I do believe. But help me with my unbelief. And Jesus was like, well, you have some unbelief and then forget about it. No, he didn't require perfect faith. He just, he, but he does require belief. Again, it's so important to understand that doubt is not a sin. Doubt is, is an honest 
we don't understand. There's a dissonance between what we see and what we know we're supposed to trust, right? The way that God says he is and the way that it feels like he is in our life right now. There might be a dissonance. That's doubt. Unbelief is the sin. Is when I say, in that dissonance, I'm going to trust me, not God. But Jesus doesn't require perfect faith. He just requires that we trust him. He requires just enough saying, despite my doubts, I'm going to choose to trust you. I'm going to have faith. That is called belief. And even though this dad's faith was imperfect, it was, it was enough. The last thing I think is interesting, and this is a very small part of the end of the, of the, uh, of the thing, but um, I think it, it, it's interesting. It says prayer is powerful. So this demon's not going to come out with you just casting out. You're going to have to pray. I don't understand how all the mechanisms of the spiritual world work, right? I've read this book, you know, many times. And there's a lot of mystery in it, right? God explains what we need to know. But he doesn't go in and say, well, this is how exactly the demons work in all these times. This is how things work in the angels. This is not exhaustive, right? This is enough. But Jesus explains this, and I think this one small thing let us know that Prayer does do a whole lot more than maybe we thought it did. And if you are going through difficult things in your life and you're not finding any power in that, have you tried prayer? And not just like light prayer, but fasting, praying, saying, God, I need you and I need your wisdom and direction. This is not just a holy exercise to make us feel nice. Prayer has real power. So five five future. Now let's talk about the five biggest doubts that I've come across in my ministry and uh, in doing this, and then how to conquer them. And so uh, we realize that doubt can keep us from living a, a life of faith, but it can also drive us closer to God. So how do we conquer these things? Well, the first one is difficult circumstances. When life is harsh or unfair, when things happen that aren't, you know, we just can't understand, like sickness or death happens or financial troubles or, or whatever, when life is unfair, oftentimes it can cause us to doubt. Is God good when my life is bad? And, and those times we're often caused to, to doubt God's love, right? Is God really good when things are bad for me? Does he really love me? Maybe, maybe I'm so disgusting to him he can't love me. Or maybe he's just being mean to me and he just, you know, have you ever felt that way? You're like you're the golf ball and he's teeing you up and he's the club, right? Just, and every time you seem to get back up, you just seem to get smacked again, right? There are times when life can be like that and you wonder, is God nice? Does he love me? Sometimes we doubt God's character in this. Not only does he love me, but we say, can God actually be good? I am innocent here. And I am hurting. I think we, there's a whole book in the Bible called, it's Job, the oldest book in the scripture. Right? This has been around a long time. And Job, he didn't suffer because he was bad. In fact, God said to the devil, you can go after him because he is good. I'm going to prove to you something that he doesn't just love me because life is good. And Job is suffering. And nobody told Job. And he's suffering. Bad things are happening. And he's like, I am legit suffering. And I, have not, I can't think of anything I've done. And I imagine in the midst of this, there had to be, Job begins to be like, listen, I would like to to go before you, God, and and your own court. (laughs) And I would like to plead my case. (laughs) Because how come these crazy people that are bad get good things, and right now me, who has been honoring you my whole life, now have these horrible, horrible things happening? If you ever want to put God on trial, I know that I have certain times. Doubt can cause us to want to do that. And I think that's what we have with the dad here. And Mark, no, this, he had a difficult circumstance. He had a son that was demon-possessed. That would be horrible. And there was nothing that he could do about it. Difficult circumstances are, they're part of life, and they're, and they're something that cause a lot of people to struggle in their faith. Now, there's two plans that it could be operative here. The first one, the devil's plan. When, when bad things come into our life, when the devil sometimes brings bad things in our life, or we, through bad consequence, bring things in our life, what, what the enemy wants to have is this. He wants to cause pain, right? If you have enough pain with this, then usually the more pain, the more than we want to doubt, right? And then we can let that pain cause a wedge between us and God. We can say, I hurt, I don't understand, this is bad, I don't get it, God, I'm not going to trust that you're good. And there can be this wedge that's ever-growing wedge in our life because of that pain, because we can't explain it. And that's not redemptive. God's plan in this is to redeem the suffering and to draw you closer. Look at this boy and, and his dad, right? The, he, the, the dad is, loves his son, doesn't understand why all this is happening. Imagine the boy himself is like, what on earth, right? 
And when you're possessed, you're possessed. There's the loss of control and all these things, the humiliation and the fear that they would have lived with, and all of that pain, which would have been excruciating. But in the midst of it, it brought them close to Christ. And they experienced a miracle and a redemption, and, and, and they got to know God very personally, which I imagine didn't just change them, but for generations. Can you imagine this boy as he grew up and said, let me tell you that Jesus is real, and he's got power, right? And there is hope in life because he didn't just overcome this demon, he overcame sin. I think we find that God wants us to grow our compassion through pain. It tells us in Scripture we suffer things and he works in that and allows us to, to minister to other people who suffer those same things. Right? He grows our compassion. He helps us. Increases our ministry. When you think about the people that you respect the most are not those who had the perfect life, but the people who have overcome very difficult things. Those are the ones that you want to go to and say, okay, because our lives are difficult too. And you say, how did you do that? Well, if God just gave all Christians just easy, perfect lives... You know, people would come to Jesus not because they needed salvation. They would come to Jesus because they wanted an easy ride. And that's not why he came. He grows us and he makes us deep. Mark 9.23, Jesus does say everything is possible for one who believes. And that means that we have the ability to overcome difficult circumstances and still stay strong in faith. But you have to believe. It doesn't mean you're not going to doubt. Belief is I'm going to... Choose to have faith even despite my doubts. So let me give you an example, something that happened in my life. Uh, we, my family went through a storm. It um, lasted about a decade, and there's some of it still, still going on. But, um, but there was a time, especially right was the church was, I thought it was going to close. All these kind of things were happening. It was bad, right? And I thought my life was just black. And God says he's white in the Bible, right? He says he's, in him is light, and there's no darkness in whatsoever. And I could not see any light. Everything that I was trying to do to honor God were the very things that were happening that, that my life was getting worse in. Everything I was praying for got worse. I didn't even want to talk to God because if I mention it, then it get worse. And then I tried reverse psychology with God and I started praying for things I knew were bad for me. And then he answered those prayers. I'm like, oh, Right? It was bad, and I was so mad at God. And then you guys decided to bring me on as the lead pastor. <laughs> Who knew, right? And so I was like, here I was hurting in my faith, and I was honest with you the whole time, and this just shows how awesome you guys are. And you loved me in the midst of this, but I was struggling. I was like, and I was at this crossroads. I felt like I, had, I was like standing on a dock, right, where I had one foot on the dock and one foot on a boat. And you can't stand like that very long, Right? And I felt that there was God's word, and I knew that God, who God was in God's word, and I knew the God of my experience, and the two were very, very different. The God of God's word, is, is the Bible, is a God of love and compassion and power and presence and all this. And, and in my life, I had about a decade of just feeling like God was silent and bad things were happening, and then I could pray all I wanted to, and he answered every other people's prayers, but not mine. It was like, and I knew that I couldn't stand there forever. So the church brings me on. They say, hey, you're, we'll, we'll take you as our, our lead pastor. Great. You know, one of the nice things about being lead pastor is that on Sunday afternoons, I can watch football. I love football. And I couldn't do that as a youth pastor because when the dads would pick up their kids from youth group, they would always tell me the score of the game. So even if I recorded it, it would ruin it for me. So I got rid of my TV. So when I became lead pastor, I did something very, very, very selfish. I took a day off, and I went down to Boulder, and I bought a TV. And, and so I didn't know anything about flat screens and like that. I walked into this shop, and inside the shop, there were these guys that knew all about TVs. And they said, let me teach you about TVs from the pixel level so you can pick a good one. All right. So they put this movie on called Avatar. It's these blue people. That, uh, so there's bright blue people, and then there's a black part of the screen. There was green because they were like in the bushes or something like that. And he took out one of those jeweler magnifying glasses, and he said, I want you to look at these pixels. And I was like, all right, I'll look at the pixels. So you look at the pixels, and where it was white on the screen, there was these three colors that were really bright. And that surprised me. I thought they would be white, but they're not. There's like three colors that were really bright. And then where it was blue, they had two of the colors were kind of going. And then where it was green, there was this like, green that was lit up. And then where it was black... You couldn't see anything. And they took me over to a cheaper TV, and where it was black, it was actually, you could see those ones kind of lit up a little bit. So I knew the TV I wanted. I wanted the one that showed me black. But here's the thing. I'm not selling you a TV. <laughs> here's the deal. When I was there, and I was looking at that white pixel, I could look in there, and it was like all I could see was brightness, right? And I went over to the black pixel, and all I could see was darkness. And then I realized that that's exactly where I was. See, my life and my experience is a pixel. I can see one pixel at a time, and in that time of my life, it was legit. My experience was real, and it was valid. My life was black. But I was trying to explain all of God by that one pixel. 
To me, to say that God was bad would mean to say, if I was looking at that, that black pixel, to say the whole screen is black. It's just always black. God seemed difficult in my life at the time. In my, I had pain in my life at the time. But the scripture is the whole picture. It's the whole TV. You see, the scripture explains to us not just one experience from one little point in time, but explains all of, like, it gives us the big picture of who God is. And it was a beautiful picture of blue people standing in a garden. But I would never be able to say that from just seeing one pixel at a time. And I realized at that moment that I needed to change how I was, I needed to live by faith. If I was living by experience, I was living by one pixel, allowing that pixel to define everything, which is foolish. But living by faith allowed me to see the bigger picture and trust that, that, that my pixel would change eventually when it was time. And I could trust that I was part of something bigger and that God was working in me and he was going to work it all together for his good and the glory of his, and the glory of his kingdom, right? That's the difference. So I let my pain drive me to question why, which drove me to a TV store, which allowed me to then see that I could trust God in the midst of my darkness. And you know what? My pixel changed. It was awesome. But I know this, that even if it goes back to black, that means it doesn't mean God is bad. It means that he'll carry me through that time too. So if you're facing difficult circumstances, here's some things that you can do to help you. The first one is consider, are these actually, are, are, what am I going through? Are these actually consequences? Right? Sometimes we suffer things and it's not God's fault, right? For example, if you like to gamble and all of a sudden you have no money because you gambled all your money away, maybe it's not God punishing you. Maybe, maybe you have a habit that you should probably not do, right? And so if we find that, you know, you have a horrible, you're in a marriage and things are just going really south, but you're always being disrespectful or not loving to your spouse, it's not God punishing you with a bad marriage. Maybe it's just a consequence that you're not living according to his word. If that's the case, if your suffering and your pain is, is a cause of those things, a cause of consequence, then the answer is to repent. And how do we do that? Repentance doesn't mean say, I feel bad about this. It means start living a different way. And that's what the discipleship life is about. That's why we come to church. That's why we're part of life groups. That's why we encourage each other to say, what is God's plan? And then we help each other. But you have to make a decision in your life to say, I'm, this pain is going to drive me into righteousness. Right? It's going to drive me into a better way of living. To be like the man who builds his house upon the rock. But let's say you, you look at that and you say, this is not consequence. I'm doing the right things the way God says and I still have this. What then? This is what you do. You cling to God's word. It is true. It is the big picture. It is not just a pixel. You have to cling to his word. God loves you. He is good. You are his. And he promises his word. He's going to use this for your good. Can you just stay faithful? That's your job. Continue to stand. Also, pray. You need to pray. At these times when you're mad at God, and I'll tell you, some of my prayers during those dark times before I got this, I would go up on this mountain because I didn't want to be heard, and I would, I, would, I would talk to God loudly to make sure that he heard me until my voice ran out. And I would tell him how displeased I was with his management. Right? And those were prayers, but also in that I would say, I would appreciate if you would change things. Right? Now, that's the church version, right? That's the cleaned up version. But that's kind of what I was saying. And then I'd come back, wait for my voice to heal up so I could go talk to him again. But over time, as God revealed that he was good, and my, faith, my prayers changed to say, God, one, I, why did I think that I deserve better? <laughs> Two, this world is, if you're going to use me, then use me in this. Make this valuable. And another one I kept praying, I said, God, keep helping me have the faith that I need to stay strong with you. I don't want to give up. I don't want to be kicked off your island. Right? I don't want to miss out on the good thing that you have on the other end. So, so in my weakness, help me be strong in this. My prayers began to change. But in the midst of your pain, go to God. And be honest with him, and he will help you. Next thing you need to do is connect, share your burden, and receive encouragement. Right? One of the great things that I had is I had my wife, and I had other people, friends around me, of people of faith. When I was struggling with faith, they could remind me that God loved me. They could remind me of the times in God's life, in my life, that God had worked powerfully. They could talk about the times that God had worked in their life. They could say, Aaron, you may be weak, and you may be frustrated, but I am praying for you. And we are going to help you. We had groups of, of gals from our church that helped us in that time. They helped clean our house. People brought over meals, wrote notes, put them in the mailbox, and I'd get notes and remind me that I wasn't alone. It is, I don't know how I would have survived that time in faith if I didn't have a community of faith to help me. And you need that too. Second biggest doubt is intellectual arguments. These are uh, when Christians are people... Uh, 
of the truth. Um, well, I would say Christians are people of the truth, right? Truth matters to us. We want to believe what is right. We don't want to believe a fairy tale or a lie. We want to know what is real. We want to believe it. So when a true-sounding argument comes along that might be contradictory to our faith, it can really rock us in our faith, doesn't it? And that causes doubt. And this happened to that father, I think, in Mark. They said that, he, that the, the disciples weren't able to help, and the religious leaders were there very quickly to give them all the reasons why Jesus was not who he claimed to be. Right? I want you to know this, that we are not the smartest people. None of us are. But we're not saved because we're smart people. And no one is really smarter than God himself. And there are going to be arguments that we may, we may believe or sound good to us. We don't have all the information and all those types of things. And so sometimes uh, we can be rocked to our core over something that God could explain very simply to us. But it doesn't mean that we turn our brains off. Sometimes I think those doubts should drive us into investigation. You know, some of the very strongest Christians, the, what they call Christian apologists, these are people who go and defend the Christian faith, they started out as atheists, as going out to, to disprove Christianity. And in that process, they found out that it's true, and they become some of the strongest defenders of the faith. And people like C.S. Lewis, if you've heard of him, right? Or Josh McDowell, right? He started out as an atheist researcher, and then look what he's done. Or Lee Strobel, we used to give out his books, The Case for Faith. You know, I was that way. Uh, with my background in history, I, I went and I was, I, it was my investigation as to how do we have the world that we do and realize that, that nature can't explain nature, that, that I began investigating where, what is true, what is right. And it led me to Jesus. If you have doubts, investigate them, but be honest. That's the problem that most people get wrong with. They, they have, they're like, I'm going to do this to disprove it. And they're not being honest in their investigation. And some of the great ways, come talk to me if you have doubts. There are lots of resources that I can help you with and connect with. So if you're facing intellectual doubts, first thing, don't panic. Just because you don't understand it doesn't mean that it can't be understood. You are not the most smart, you know, smartest person in the world. Clearly, I'm not either, right? All of us. So don't panic. I mean, like, the world hasn't fallen. God is not, it's not dead. The second thing is approach your doubt honestly. Figure out why is it, what is in this argument that makes me really have doubt? Right? And realize that truth is not a popularity contest. If the reason that it's causing you doubts is because everybody else believes it, well, who cares? Everybody can believe something that is completely wrong. I mean, for thousands of years, you know, people thought that we were made up of just like four elements. That was it. Everybody did. The scientists, the smartest, the most well-learned people. Know that truth is not just a popularity contest. It's okay. Also this, ask God for help. Pray for wisdom. God promises he'll help you with that. And then uh, you can go and you can seek that kind of help. You have pastors and elders and other people in the church that you look up to, right? And then start with what you know. That for me, when I became a Christian was, and when I was struggling with my faith in God, when I was, what am I going to do? Starting with what I know really helped. One of the reasons I didn't walk away from God is I knew this. I know for a fact that Jesus died and rose again. That's a historical proven reality. That is an event that happened in history. And if Jesus died and rose again, right? If he rose again, chooses God, right? It's different. We have to, and he tells us why he did that. But if he, if he rose again, he died. Why did he die? Why would God die? And he tells us because he loves me and he loves you too. And a God like that is not as hateful as the God that I felt like there was in my life. Start with what you know and build from there. Also, the next one we have, the biggest thing is imperfect Christians. Okay? Are there any such thing as a perfect Christian? No. So I could take that imperfect part out. Christians sometimes are a cause of doubt. All of us. A lot of people have their faith shaken when a Christian or a church lets them down. And they associate because we represent Jesus. Then when we do something wrong, they say Jesus is wrong. They attribute our actions to Christ. So when we are sinful, we are selfish, or we're inconsistent with our faith, or maybe you've had a Christian in your life or a church that has been sinful or selfish or inconsistent has wounded you, maybe cause you doubt. We think of things like the, the scandals that happen. I have, the, oftentimes when I'm downtown and I'm talking with people at the coffee shops, things like this, that struggle with faith, and I hear this a lot, why can't you be a Christian? Because Christians are phonies. And I'm like, everybody's a phony. I say, are you seriously telling me that right now this is, this is how you are all of the time? You never yell at your wife ever, right? You never get mad at the car in front of you when you drop something, you know, on your toe that you're just like, oh, you're just like you are now. Everybody's a phony. The reality is that in Christ is that we can finally stop being phonies. We can at least admit, I am broken. Thank you very much. I need help. And you can receive it. 
We think like this. They say, well, TV preachers, they're all about just themselves, which I'm not sure. I've never met a TV preacher. Maybe they're nice guys, but they are some that they represent a, a version of faith that some people find hard. Or how about this greed where people, Christians will take stuff or churches will take things and just use it about poorly. And you're like, yeah, people are greed, greedy people. Or their crusades. I love when they throw the crusades. I'm like, that was a thousand years ago. You got to move on, right? <laughs> if that's the worst thing you can come up with this, I think we're doing all right. But the imperfect Christians. Uh, you know, I think when we, people come across imperfect Christians, that's the only time they meet anybody, a Christian or otherwise, they, this is what they'll think. They'll think, if this person is a fraud, they say that they're supposed to love and forgive, and if they're not doing that, if they're a fraud, then their faith must be a fraud. And that's not unreasonable, which is why consistency in our faith is important. Sometimes they say, I was hurt by a church, or therefore the church itself must be bad, or I was hurt by a Christian, therefore the church must be bad, Right? Because these people are supposed to be forgiving and kind and loving people. And if this is how they're going to act, then I don't want anything to do with it. And I think that happened to the Mark, or this dad in Mark, right? Like he, he brings his son to the disciples, and the disciples weren't able to heal the son. And the promise was that these disciples had is, bring us your, your, your sick and, and your possessed, right? And we're going to take care of you. And that was the promise, and they didn't deliver. There was an inconsistency. And I think that would have caused a little bit of doubt in, in this dad. If you're struggling with doubt because of imperfect Christians, the first one is you've got to give Jesus a chance, right? That's what the apostles did. Realize that Christians are not perfect. That's the whole point. Like all of us, we're not surprised that we're not perfect. When we come to the cross, we admit that we're not perfect. That's why we're there. That's why we need salvation. There is a deep brokenness in our heart. We have a sin nature that God has got to root out. And as we walk with Christ longer, the more he roots that out and changes us from the inside out. But we're not perfected yet. So you need to give Christ a chance, even if his followers aren't perfect. And I think you remember that there is no such thing as a perfect Christian. And if you follow Christ, you too will be imperfect. But then eventually God will perfect you. I think you also need to extend grace and forgiveness. If you want to have received the forgiveness and the grace of Jesus, then you need to extend that kind of grace to others. And I think too you need to reconnect in a better fellowship. Maybe you are, like some people come to, you know, to us and they, they've come from very abusive churches. Churches that have done things to them that are just awful. Because you know what? We're a family. And there's such things as a dysfunctional family. There's also healthy families. And we want to be a healthy family. And if you grew up or were a part of a dysfunctional family, a church family that was really bad and was abusive and did all these things, not all churches are bad. It's like giving up saying all families are bad because there are some that are bad. You need to connect with a healthy family. The last one that we, we talk about, or fourth one, I guess there's two more. Spiritual dryness is a, a part of doubt. When I don't feel that, uh, when I don't feel God in my life, when I don't hear God, when I don't see him in my life, and I'm walking along and, and my faith and doesn't seem like God is interacting with me can cause doubt. Is he real? Um, we kind of feel like we're in a spiritual desert. People tell me that sometimes. Like I feel like I'm in a desert. Like I keep praying and I read the word and it's just not doing anything for me. In these times, we doubt God's love. We doubt his character. We can doubt his existence. I don't know if you've ever been there, but a lot of believers, myself included, have been in a desert at least at one point. You know, even King David, though, he was, uh, felt this way. And Jesus uh, quoted uh, this, uh, this right here that uh, David uh, wrote on Psalm 21, 22 when Jesus was on the cross. And David wrote, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? You ever been there? Yeah. That's not uncommon to the faith, that the desert is not forever. But it, when we're in the midst of it, it can feel withering. And so uh, if you're facing spiritual dryness, here's what you need to do. You've got to keep seeking Christ. If you stop in the desert, you will die. You ever notice that? Like people, if they go into a desert and they're like, well, I guess this is where I'm going to be. Eventually you'll die. You've got to keep taking steps of faith. Allow God to walk with you and walk you through it. Another thing I understand is when you're in the midst of a spiritual desert, you are not alone. You're in good company. Abraham was in a spiritual desert. God told him at 70, hey, move, go somewhere else, and I'm going to give you a family. He was 100 years old when he finally got his son. That was an old man to get a boy. What did he do for all those years? In this, this, he was literally wandering in the wilderness. David felt this way. Esther, I think, felt this way. If you read the book of Esther, and where she was at, and you're, she was like, where, 
you don't even see, you know, God's name even in there. She's like, where is God in the midst of this? I'm in this pagan country <laughs> serving a pagan king. She was there. Jesus felt this way. Jesus even said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You remember in these times that faith is more than a feeling. It has to be. I think in these times God is growing us up in faith. It's easy to grow in faith when we feel God is close to us, but that's not mature. Think about you when you were a baby. When you were an infant and you cried, your parents were there right away to give you comfort so that you would know you could trust them. But now when you are older, you know, you have a bad day. Your mom doesn't get on an airplane and fly over to hold you, right? When she walks out of the room, you're not like, oh, does my mom still love me? No. At some point, the parent lets you stay in bed all night while they get a good night's sleep. And you, the child will feel separate and they'll be afraid maybe a little bit, but... Over time, we realize that the separation, just because I don't feel my parents' presence and protection, doesn't mean it's not there. And that gives us a sense to live not as a prisoner of, of a feeling. It allows us to have freedom and allows us to have a sense of, of, of security so we're not living with constant anxiety. Know this, God loves you. He is all places at all times, and he is with you and in you. That is the promise of God. If you feel separated from God, it doesn't mean he doesn't exist. He is bigger than your feelings, and your faith has got to be more than your feelings. It must be. It doesn't mean faith is without feeling. God brings back time when we feel very close to him. But this does not mean he's gone. It means he's growing you. And so God grows us in the desert because only God can do that. Last one is reoccurring sin. When you are struggling with sin that just keeps coming back over and over and over again, and you just get tired, you're like, I want to overcome this thing, and I give it up, and then I just take it back up again, and I hate myself because I do it, right? If you struggle with sin, oftentimes this is causes a lot of doubt with people. It makes us feel like hypocrites, which if you are saying this is a sin and I don't want to do it, then you're not a hypocrite. You're not acting, <laughs> Right? It means that you're struggling with sin. But it makes us feel that way. And realize that some sins are hard to root out. They take, some of them take, take days, some take weeks, some take months, some take years, and some sins take decades. But God will root them out. You know, they make us exhausted because we keep trying to follow God and then we keep falling. That's grace. That's why God gives it to us. And he picks you back up. And he hasn't rejected you when you're in the midst of it. But sometimes we get exhausted and so... We get tired of fighting this, and we say it would just be easier if I wasn't even trying to follow God. In Romans uh, chapter 7, I love this. One of my favorite passages, Paul writes, For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subjected to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Christ Jesus our Lord. You ever been like that? I want to do what's right, but then I try to do what's right, and I end up doing something exactly the opposite, and I try to... That's part of the faith. It's rooting sin out. If you have reoccurring sin in your life, which is causing you doubt, could God still love me because I still have this? Yes, God still loves you. But he is, he's not just going to magically just, whoop, your sin's gone, it's perfect. He, he does that for our forgiveness. But he walks us through the sanctification. So it's, it's rooted deep in our life. He changes us from the inside out. He grows faith in us. And think of how things grow. They grow slowly. You don't just plant a tree and then tomorrow walk out and have a forest. It takes a while, but you have to water that tree, and you've got to take care of it. Right? You grow your faith and let faith grow in you, and it will replace the root of sin that had been in you for so long. So we are saved by God's grace. We know that. Not through any works or anything like that, but realize that you're also kept by God's grace. God's not keeping you in his kingdom because you act perfectly. He's bought you and, pay, and, and, and paid a high price for you. You're his, and he's going to work in you and through you. He's not giving up on you. Also know this. The word grace in Greek, I don't, I don't talk of Greek very often because it's nerdy, but here's the thing. Sometimes it's, it's helpful. The word for, for grace in Greek is, is charis or charis, right? Does that sound, it sounds like charity. That's where we get the word charity from. I love that because grace is God's charity towards you. And you think about when somebody is being charitable, they're giving you something that you couldn't earn because you couldn't earn it and because they care about you. And that's what God does. We, we can't earn grace, so God gives it to us. So when I desire to do as good and I can't do it, I can't carry it out, God's not giving up on me. He says, I'm going to give you the strength. Take the next step. Get back up. Be encouraged. Take the next step of faithfulness. Realize that when you're struggling with, with sin, you are doing just that. You are struggling. Don't give up the struggle. Don't give into it and say, I don't care about it anymore. Keep struggling 
Allow God to work in you and make you stronger. He is at work. Receive grace from God, but also from others. That's why it's important to have a life group. It's important to have another Christian friend around you in the midst of those times so that you can realize that they love you not because you're perfect, but because simply because you're loved. We need that from people too. Also, fight the momentary battles, not the war. Oftentimes we fall into repetitive sin because we think, I will never overcome this big sin because we're looking at the big sin. I'll tell you, if you want to climb you know, a mountain, the last thing you want to do is just always be looking exactly at the peak because you're going to take 100 steps and the peak's going to look still just as far away as it ever was. But it's actually closer, but it looks really far away. Plus, you'll trip and fall over the time because there's rocks on the trail. What you need to do if you want to climb a mountain, you chart your path and then you take one step at a time. And for you to overcome reoccurring sins, sometimes it's just this day, right now, can I overcome this? And if you are feeling overwhelmed, realize that God's word says he will help you. He will provide you a way out. You trust him right then, just for that one time. You keep taking those steps, you'll be amazed at how far God will take you. Also, connect with others for support and accountability. God doesn't ask us to make this walk alone. So, we talked about a lot today. Let's just summarize. How do we overcome doubt with unshakable faith? The first one that we need to do is realize that doubt is normal. If you have doubt in your life, don't feel that you are not able to be used by God. There's something broken in your faith. No, you are normal. You have honest. God is, is big, and sometimes we don't understand it. The second thing is recognize that doubt is not a sin. Don't feel guilty because you have doubts. You're human. That's okay. But unbelief is a sin. So don't allow your doubts to cause you to not believe in God. Don't just trust the pixel. Remember there's a big picture that you're part of, right? The next thing that we need to do is that doubt must be dealt with honestly. The last thing you want to do is say, well, I have these doubts and I don't think God's big enough or true enough to answer them. No, if you have doubt, go to God. Figure it out. Let it drive you closer to him in faith. God is real and his word is true and reality will bear that out. So deal with your doubts honestly. With God and investigate. Also, I think this is doubt is an opportunity then to grow. The reason that I am so sure that my faith is real is because I had such strong doubts that drove me into testing it and testing it and testing it. And now there is no way that I would ever deny my faith because I know for an absolute certainty that it is real. (laughs) Doubt can grow you. And I'll tell you this, in the midst of when things were broken in my life and it was hard and my life was black and I had all that doubt, I realized that God is good even then. And now you're not going to talk me out of that. And when difficult times come again into my life, and they will, I will not doubt the fact that my God is still good. And because of that, I'm able to encourage some of you that are going through difficult times as well. It's an opportunity to grow. Also this, doubt is how do we, how do we counter doubt? With belief. Start with what you know. Jesus died and rose again. If he died, he died for a reason. He died for your sin and mine. If he rose again, it means that he's more than a man. He is God. We take him at his word why he said he came. He said that he came so that all who would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. This is a loving God. Take him at his word. And trust him. Have faith, even in spite of your doubts, and let him carry you. So how do we take this? This is a lot of stuff. How do we take this? And apply it to our lives. Well, if you take out your connection card, I've got some next steps for you. Because, again, faith is a journey. On the back side of your connection card, if you take that out, if you want to look back there, there's some things that you can do this week that will help you take steps of faithfulness for all of us when we struggle with doubt. The first one is memorize Mark 9.24. If you would do that, think how helpful it is to know that you don't have that perfect faith. Immediately your father explained, I do believe. Help me with my unbelief. Isn't it helpful to know that you're not the only one? And this is where you can go to God, and this is a great prayer to say to him when you're struggling, help me. Memorize this so it's on you, so that way when you struggle with doubt, you don't don't walk away from God, but you you can go to him. Also, maybe what you want to do is read the Gospel of Mark. Now you know where it is because it's in your Bibles, and we turned there. So read it. It's the story of what Jesus did, and in the Gospel of Mark, you're going to see how Jesus proves that he is greater than all kinds of things, and who he truly is, which will help us overcome our doubts. Or maybe where you are this week is you need to pray for faith. You need to be like this dad. Say, Jesus, I do believe, but you need to help me with my unbelief. And if you're being honest with your doubts, even today, you say, God, I need your help. And maybe that's what you do this week is you begin taking those doubts, your honest doubts to God, and say, God, I need your help with this. And that's what you do. You start that. Or maybe for you, what you need to do is believe. 
You have doubts, but you know that Jesus is who he is, and you need to cling to that. And you say, this week, I'm going to cling to who Christ is. That's what I'm going to be doing this week. And despite my doubts, I'm going to choose, I'm going to continue to trust God until he carries me through this. If there's a different uh, um, thing that you know that God wants you to do, may the Holy Spirit speak it to you, write it down. I will be praying for you this week as you keep these commitments, these next steps. Um, if there's another commitment you need to make, put it down there. If you have a prayer request, write it down. I do pray, and God does answer. He does good stuff. So write those down. And here in a minute, we're going to take our offering. Let's take our offering, take these connection cards, put them in the offering basket as it's passed, and we'll give this uh, to God. So let's pray. Father God, thank you for the reality of you. Thank you that you're real, that you love us, and that you're powerful. Thank you that even though you're invisible to our eyes, that you are most certainly, uh, you are most certainly a God that exists. You are the God of the living. You're not the God of the imagination. So Father, I pray you would help us in our church to walk with you closer, deliver us from our doubts, help us to walk in a way that uh, not just uh, is honoring to you, but Father, that uh, demonstrates the reality of you in our life. I pray for those today that are struggling with doubt. Would you bless them today, Lord, with a a sign of your presence, extra encouragement, help them take steps of faithfulness. May this be a church family that helps us as we grow in faith in you and faithfulness and doubt, Father, as well as in in good times. Lord, we want to honor you. We pray for our offerings and for our commitments. Lord, would you use both to build your kingdom? We would ask in Christ's name. Amen.